Hi, it's Allegra with a dose of modern life, healthier, easier, and more fun. On today's show, I'm going to talk about the platinum rule. It's a simple but profound variation on the golden rule that I learned about recently that I want to share with you. Then you'll get to hear part two of my chat with Michaela Malazzi, the Emmy-winning travel show host. And on this show, she's going to talk us about her new podcast, as well as the joy of traveling alone. Then I'm going to share with you an amazing tip for the best pool toy. It's inexpensive. It's sustainable. It's so much fun. You'll wonder why no one has ever thought of this before. All this and more after this brief musical interlude. See you after the tunes. And now for the platinum rule. So everyone knows the golden rule, right? There's some variation of it in most world philosophies. And it goes like this. Treat others how you want to be treated. Now, I have a child who is eight years old. And we talk about the golden rule a lot with her and her friends at her school. And (laughs) it's funny when kids are young. They are very honest, so they're willing to admit even when they do something that maybe they shouldn't have done. However, as they become a little bit older, they start to become a little more sophisticated with their sense of the truth. Let's, let's put it that way. And sometimes you'll ask a child, well, are you treating this person the way you would want to be treated? And they'll say, yeah, I don't care. Even when they're doing something that isn't very nice right? They've, they've figured out the out to the golden rule. If they admit that they wouldn't care if they were treated that way, then suddenly it's okay. So I was mulling over this issue when I heard about the platinum rule. And I don't remember where I heard this, unfortunately. I, I wish I could give credit where credit's due. But the platinum rule is treat others the way they would want to be treated by you. Ha. It's such a simple but profound twist because suddenly this child who wouldn't care how other people treat her and this child that I'm thinking of is sometimes I've heard them called Teflon children, which is a child you can throw anything at them and it won't stick. Right. So this is this is a very resilient child, which is wonderful for this child. However, sometimes she doesn't take into account that not all children are like her and she will treat them in a way that she might be fine with, but maybe they wouldn't be fine with. So the other day I introduced this idea of the platinum rule to her and it was like a light went off when she realized that other people might not want to be treated the same way she wants to be treated. And when she had to think about it in terms of how would that person like to be treated by her or, you know, in her mind by me, it was a big shift. So there you go, the platinum rule. Try it out. See what it does for you. After this, we'll have part two of my chat with Michaela Malazzi. She'll tell us all about her podcast, as well as why she loves to travel alone. Right after this brief musical interlude. So you travel to a lot of places then where you don't speak the language. Do you kind of have have you figured out what your prep is, like what phrases you must know before you enter a country? Or do you have any sort of preparation that you do like that? Yeah, I always, always, always learn 
how to say thank you. That's the first mm-hmm. thing I learned mm-hmm. how to say. And obviously, hello. Um, and when I go to places, I, I usually, when I was traveling alone, I wouldn't just show up in a place. Well, I did once, but I wouldn't just show in a place, <laughs> show up in a place. I would have a purpose of whether that's meeting up with someone that I knew or um, usually trying to connect with someone that I was already in touch with. Okay. And if it was a local, um, then, you know, you can, you can always learn. For example, when we went to Croatia, Havala means thank you. But when you're in Dubrovnik, Fala is the, is the dialect in Dubrovnik for mm. thank you. So when you're there, if we start saying Fala, then everyone's like, oh, she's like Dubrovnik. This is awesome. It versus right. just saying Havala and just saying Havala in general, just saying thank you in their own language is a big deal. But, you know, kind of getting the local terms and the local lingo. Yes. So you mentioned traveling alone. You've done a lot of travel alone and then you've traveled with other women as well, like one or one twosies type thing. Mm-hmm. So as a woman traveling alone, what are some, what are some of your best practices? You know, you have to be aware of your surroundings. It's the general rules, right? Like I, I don't want to give all the safety advice because there's tons of safety advice you can look up anywhere. But the main thing about traveling alone in general, whether you're a man or a woman is not having to um, appease anybody else's decisions. You make the decision. And one of the best travel days I've ever had in my entire life, I'll never forget it. I was supposed to be flying back from Italy. um, And my flight was delayed 11 hours. When I got to the airport, my grandmother dropped me off at the airport. They left. My cousins left. And... They were like, oh, the flight's delayed 11 hours. And they gave us a hotel room to leave our bags. And I took a free bus into Rome and had this magical day in Rome where I was just, you know, because there was nothing else I could do. I wasn't going to go back to Minto, two hours away. Um, and I walked through the streets for, for 10 of those hours, basically, or eight of those hours. And I went into galleries, I went into cathedrals, I ate the best gelato, I um, I made decisions based on what I wanted to do at that exact moment. <laughs> if I wanted, if I was walking down a cobblestone street and I saw a door open, right. I went in and guess what? I found this incredible art gallery right. and then stayed there for about 30 minutes and then left and, and kind of meandered around. And it was like just having the ability to make decisions on your own is empowering and liberating. And, um, that's the feeling I'm addicted to. That's what I get addicted to is this exploration, this idea of, I want to do something. And you know what, if you're traveling alone, that's where you can make the decision to, you know, I want to take a break. I'm tired. I'm going to sit, I'm going to eat something. You know, there's not, none of this outside pressure of feeling like you have to do all of these things. It's so, it really is so liberating. And it's also interesting too, because I mean, I made some amazing friends because language suddenly becomes so important. And I made some great friends with people that I was just waiting in line with to get into a museum because we spoke the same language. And suddenly you have this connection that means nothing when you're in America, but it means a lot when you're out traveling. Yes. You, you're forced to make friends. You sit at a bar and you have to talk to people. You're not going to be on your phone. It, I think it's a really wonderful way to 
have an actual local experience. Um, forced to talk to locals, always talk to your bartender. They're probably always the most, <laughs> talk to your taxi driver, you know, like all of those things. People say that because it's true. It's, you're going to have such wonderful experiences because these people are your gateway into the local culture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're married. How long have you been married for? We've been married six years. Six years. And you've, but you knew him for a long time before that. Well, we went to university together and we didn't date at school and we were good friends for a long time. So I've known my husband for almost 17 years now. Wow. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And um, we've been together for 11 years and we've been married six. So look, friendship is the basis of any relationship, any relationship. And I think that has really stayed true for us, especially with the travel schedule that I have, the travel schedule. My husband was a touring musician for a really long time and he still is. So how do you make that work with two careers where you travel a lot? Um, well, time off is very valuable. I try and schedule my schedule around his schedule and vice versa. When, when he's with a band, it's really out of his hands. Right, right. You have more yeah. flexibility. Um, and sometimes we just can't make it cross you know we just can't get it lined up because if i have to film at a certain festival that happens within this time frame i can't not go because he's going to be home and vice versa he can't be home because i'm going to be home because they're playing some some dates you know so mm-hmm. you know we've we've i've had to go to weddings and family events alone many many times as has he and um, it's just part of, of our relationship. This is for us, it's, it's normal. It doesn't get any easier. It actually is, is getting much more difficult because I think as we get older, we want to spend more time together and like at home, mm-hmm. you know, when we were younger and had so much more energy, you're like, <laughs> yeah, let's travel around and do all this crazy stuff. Um, but it, it, it's exhausting. And if our, if your job is about travel and based on travel, sort of the last thing you want to do together is travel more. Right. <laughs> and, you know, there for, for us, it's, um, it's been a learning curve of how to figure out the time away, right? Whoever's home, it's always hardest for the person who stays home because the home feels empty. And for the other person who's on the road, it's you're working and you're busy and you're distracted and you're in a different setting. So you're not constantly reminded that someone else isn't there. Um, so when we're both on the road, it's the best because mm. then we're both busy. Um, but of course, that's not always the case. Um, I think also it's each Google Calendar saved our marriage. <laughs> that's no joke. Like we, we have shared calendars and that's the only way we can figure out where we are a lot of times. Um, and, you know, I travel a lot. I do speaking engagements. I uh, I travel to do a bunch of other things besides just film the show that are an extension of bare feet. So, um, you know, I have to choose wisely. I have to, my time is valuable to me personally and to my family, to my husband and I. And so, you know, again, as I get older, you kind of re- you realize your mortality and 
that time is limited. And so it's like, okay, do I really need to say yes to this opportunity? If so, great. If not, pass. And I'm going to value the time that I have off or with whomever I need to be with instead, you know, whether it's my husband or my parents or, you know, time is valuable. And it's, that's the only thing you can't get back. You know, once it's gone, it's gone. So that's been a really eye-opening sort of revelation in the past few years of getting older and um, you just, you, you, it becomes more apparent. And I, sure. and I'm sure that there's a certain understanding between both of you because you're both pursuing your passion. So you know what that feels like, how important it is for each person. Can you tell me a little bit about how you kept yourself motivated on this eight year journey? you know, following your passion? Like, were there times when you when you said, you know what, this is too hard, I'm going to go back to teaching dancing? Or, you know, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, every day, it's kind of this, look, Bare Feet's on public television. And, and a lot of people don't understand, even people in the industry, the public television um, format is, it's not like signs <laughs> you, they give you a check and you go make the show. Right. Whenever you, which I wish is how it was, but if you watch public television, it's always brought to you in part by or sponsored by, um, that money as an independent producer who I am, um, I have to find all that funding myself and that funding helps produce the show and it helps distribute the show because technically public television is owned by the people of the United States. So as an independent mm -hmm. producer, you pay once you're vetted. Mm -hmm. You pay for your show to be distributed on public television. And um, it's a very lengthy process and it's a very costly endeavor. And um, so not only am I a producer, a host, writer, part editor, I'm also a fundraiser. I'm my own PR person, marketing, um, you know, but in the end, it's worth it because I get to make the show that I want to make. I, I wasn't given the opportunity. People, when I spoke first at the very beginning to executives and producers who I would pitch the show to, because I, I worked in the music industry, so I had a lot of people in the entertainment industry that were friends. And they introduced me to some executives and they're like, oh, this is a great idea for a show, but you definitely won't be the host. Sorry. And it's like, well, screw you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, did, I just didn't fit the bill. Right. right? So... Um, so it's, it's like, fine, I'll find a way to make that possible. And for a long time, you know, I always knew that I wanted this to be a, a show, especially on P somewhere like PBS. Originally, I thought maybe Travel Channel, but to be honest, Travel Channel isn't really playing much travel shows anymore. But um, it's changing again, which is wonderful. And they're finally adding um, some wonderful female hosts again. Uh, but PBS is really where I think our story lives because of the cultural connection, mm -hmm. um, the, the authenticity of it. You know, I'm not a trained host. I'm not a tr an actress. So everything you see, that's what you get. You know, this is who I am as a person. Um, and I just love what I do. It's, I, let's just, let me just say this, like, you don't go into public television. <laughs> you, do, you have to really love the project you're working on. And, and I, after doing this, it really, um, I have so much more respect for all the people who are on public television because I know the hurdles that they have to go through to make any of this happen. Um, but there are days, every, you know, still where it's like, 
am I doing the right thing? What am I doing with my life? What is, you know, there's no guarantee for. Of course you're doing the right thing. My eight year old (laughs) loves you. And my 40-something-old husband loves you, and you've won four <laughs> Emmys, which, by the way, I just have to throw this out there. She's had two seasons yeah. and four Emmys, so there's some special mouth there. Like, clearly, she's doing something right. Thank and you. I, and Thank I also you. just want to do a shout-out for public television because I feel like, you know, people who are my age and, you know, 40s, public television has changed and grown so much since we were children that... I feel like it's kind of a golden age, both for children, like the public television that's available for my child is amazing. You know, from, from Go Jet Go, which is all about science and exploration yeah. to, you know, Wild Kratz, which is all about animals to, to uh, Peg Plus Cat, which is all about math to um, Create TV, which is the channel that I see you on through PBS, which like you said, is all about this cultural exploration, whether it be through food, mm-hmm. through dance, through travel, through crafts. Yeah. So creates a wonderful channel. It's they, they play, they're like a secondary PBS station that plays only DIY travel and food and like cooking. Mm -hmm. Um, so it really is targeted for viewers who want to learn something right. And, and maybe take that information and go do something with that. So, um, it's been a wonderful platform for us. We get a huge number of viewers from create and they're skewed slightly younger than your average PBS viewer. Um, and PBS is changing, you know, they have a digital app. There's Downton Abbey really changed everything. I mean, it was just a huge, huge push for PBS in general. So, um, and I love it. It's, it's, I'm proud to be part of that family. I'm proud to be part of public media. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful community of creative people. Uh, so I wouldn't change it for the world the struggle is still there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's it 100% worth it. So sure. if you want to sponsor a travel show, you know who to get yes. with listeners. Right. There. Or if you are a foundation or any um, uh, person who wants to support the arts or public television, we do accept <laughs> uh, tax deductible donations for... Uh, yes, yes. So, so you have a podcast Shameless. Plug, oh yeah, no, you should you should plug it. So you have a podcast coming out soon. Tell us about that. We just launched it. Um, the podcast is an extension of the TV show of the whole mission of exploring the world through dance and music. But I found that on my travels, I and even in my everyday life, I would meet some fascinating people whose stories just couldn't quite fit into the TV show. For example. You know, our series is very destination based. So if we're in if we're in Korea, South Korea, the whole episode is based in South Korea. If we're doing an episode in Little Ukraine in the East Village, it's all about little the community in Little Ukraine. Um, but there were some really important and um, impactful stories about dance for everyday people that I thought were important to share, but I just didn't know where to share them. And to be honest, I wasn't like, oh, let me make a vlog or video. I wanted. I started consuming podcasts more. And I just love the idea of that to be able to listen to these stories and kind of have this intimate conversation with people. Cause you're like right now, you know, we're in people's earbuds, we're in their heads, we're talking to them. And it's, I feel like when I listen to podcasts that I'm, they're my friends, I'm having conversations with them. So I wanted to offer sort of a more personal, intimate setting of sharing these stories. So some of the people I interview are 
the founder of Daybreaker, which is this sober dance party that happens in the mornings um, for people to celebrate dance. There's a, a program called Dancing Dreams that is a dance school for kids with disabilities um, that was started by a woman who's a physical therapist. And one of her clients said, you know, I, I've always wanted to take ballet class, but no ballet schools will let me join. She had cerebral palsy. And so she's like, well, we'll start a dance school. And she did. And it's incredible. And these kids, it's not really about the technique of dance. It's more about the, um, the incredible self-esteem that these kids, the transformations that they're going through, just being able to try to dance, to be at a ballet bar, to put on tap shoes, to move their bodies. It's incredibly transformational. Um, and also dancing classrooms, which is, I don't know if you've ever seen the, um, documentary Mad Hot Ballroom. It's based on that program that's in the New York public school system, which is now really grown around the country and around the world. So we talk to people who are, who see the impact of dance, the positive impact of dance and music in people's lives. And, and we really share these heartfelt stories and they're, they're like 30 minute conversations, interviews. Uh, our first episode is about, um, you know, my personal story of sharing the hustle that goes behind making bare feet and this journey starting it. So it's really just sort of a, a conversations with me and sharing these personal thoughts on why dance is so important in life. Cause I really think it is. And this is one of the things that's cool about podcasts too, is this, this episode will probably air after the one you just described. And yet that people can go back and find mm -hmm. it. No mm -hmm. problem. Exactly. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope people take away the thought about trying out some dancing and being introduced to new cultures because of it. They should. They should. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank Blake. you. Thank you. Coming up next, the best pool toy ever. We're back. So it's almost summertime. And if you're like me, you might be logging a lot of time in the water, either in the ocean or the lake or a pool. And I don't know about you, but I just love a good water fight. However, water pistols and water guns, they're very unsatisfying in my mind. I mean, first of all, they take forever to load and they break so easily. Those water cannons are a little bit better. But the challenge with water cannons is you don't always have enough for everybody, right? Let's say you have 20 people at a pool party. You might not have 20 water cannons. And also water cannons, I don't know, it's kind of a cheat, you know, because it's just so easy to hit someone with a water cannon. So I was mulling it over and one of my favorite things to do when I was a kid was to play with water balloons, right? But water balloons are also kind of a pain because one, you have to fill them up and then once they're broken, they're broken. You're done. You have no more water balloons and you have to pick up the balloons after to clean up after them. So I was mulling it over and I have a background in sustainable design. And one of the things that you're really taught to do is to think laterally. So think about items that might be able to do a similar job of what you're looking for, but maybe not is, it's maybe not something that's marketed that way, right? So maybe you need a curtain rod to span a really far distance but they don't sell them 
you know, at a regular home store. So you'd have to have something custom made. But instead, maybe if you just look at a galvanized pipe, because galvanized pipe is really sturdy. And I've done this before, by the way. Galvanized pipe is really sturdy and makes an excellent hanging rod for curtains and stuff. Or another thing too is speaker boxes, right? Maybe you have a speaker and you need to make a speaker box. What could I use that might already exist? Well, wine crates. Wine crates make excellent speaker boxes. Again, this is something that I've done many times in design. So I was using that part of my brain, mulling it over, thinking about how could I get the effect and feel of water balloons, but without the drawbacks. And then one day I had an idea and the idea was cellulose sponges. Okay, so cellulose sponges, what are those? They're simply sponges made out of cellulose. Cellulose is like tree bark. It's the same stuff that paper is made of, okay? Now, the beauty of sponges in a water fight is that they are self-reloading, right? If you have a couple, I've done this even if you don't have a pool or a lake or an ocean. You can even do this with just some buckets, and the sponges, you just throw a sponge into a bucket, it automatically reloads. You can throw it many times and it doesn't lose all the water. It doesn't hurt when you hit the person. However, you get that satisfying thud <laughs> that just feels so good. I We have done this so many times at our house. Every summer, I will get about 20 or 30 cellulose sponges. It's, it's very inexpensive. It's about $10 for maybe a dozen of these sponges. And we'll play with them all summer long and then they get kind of dirty and so you can just throw them into your garden, actually, and they'll biodegrade because it's just, again, it's just paper cellulose. So you can throw it into your garden, it'll biodegrade. If you have green recycling bins like we do in Los Angeles, you can throw them into your green bin as well. They're fully biodegradable. And it's just a fun way to have a water fight without hurting anyone, without having any trash to pick up after, and you don't have to worry about having enough for everyone because... You know, if someone throws a sponge at you, then now you have the sponge to throw back at them. And I've had people tell me years after coming to our house that they can't wait to come back to our house and have another sponge water fight because it is so fun. So go out and get some cellulose sponges. As always, I have links on my website, allegraramos.com slash podcast. You can see the rundowns for all of my podcasts and I always include helpful links so you can find a link to get to Michaela's website as well. And... Thanks for tuning in today. If you thought the show was fun or useful, please let me know by leaving me a comment wherever you subscribe. They mean more than you know. Or you can send me a tip through Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Allegra Ramos. That's A-L-E-G-R-E-R-A-M-O-S. I have great thank you gifts for my supporters and look forward to when I have 500 patrons and can hire an editor to provide you with even more great content. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast, and if you'd like to submit a question, you can email me at hello at allegraramos.com or download the free Anchor FM app and call into my show so I can play your question on the air. I'll see you next time for another dose of modern life, healthier, easier, more fun. We'll be talking to my friend Kalika, the serial entrepreneur, about what she's been reading, some good stuff. And until next time, be a spark in the world. Over and out.